My kids love to play a game, and the game is called Murder in the Dark. <laughs> Have you guys ever played Murder in the Dark? I didn't really understand this game, but the way it works is there's a group of people and you turn off all the lights in whatever house you're at or whatever building you're in and everything's dark, it's pitch black, you can't see anything and you are running around in the dark. You're running around in the dark and there's a murderer. It's, so it's like, it's like tag in the dark and there's a murderer and if he catches you, you are dead and you lay down Wherever, wherever you get caught, you lay down in the dark so that others can trip over you. And then when they trip over you, you have to, or that person, that person who trips over you has to yell, murder in the dark, so everybody knows that somebody else died. What a weird game. Um, so, so, so my kids were playing this uh, game in the house with some other friends over a few years ago, and Taylor was kind of the convener, and they're playing this game, and it's all dark, it's pitch, pitch, pitch black inside. We were not there. They, they, were, they were doing this on their own. Parents, when you're not home, things happen. That's why you need to pray. But, but, they, but they're running around, they're playing this game, and Taylor was in the bathroom and he's hiding in the bathroom and our, one of our hallway bathroom has a, like a Jack and Jill thing and so there's two doors, one door on each side and he was trying to decide which way to go depending on when the murderer came near and so he hears somebody kind of opening the door and he runs out the other door and he runs in the dark out of the bathroom but before he gets out, he runs into the door jam and it hits his head right here on the front and he bleeds and it is nasty. <laughs> the game pretty much stopped right there. And this was a bad, bad, it was like a hematoma. Like it came out, just kept growing. Actually, if you, Taylor was just up here leading worship. If you'll notice, sometimes you look close, what you'll see is, what you'll see is he's still got a bump right here. It never went away. It's, it's a trip. And it was terrible. It was terrible. But here's the thing I got. Here's the thing I want to say. Number one, wh who plays this kind of game? This is crazy. But number two, number two, who runs in the dark? <laughs> who runs in the dark? That's the dumbest thing you could ever do. And yet, and yet, people seem to walk in the dark all the time. They fall, they fail, they wound themselves, they hurt others. It happens everywhere you look and you can see it in our culture. So you could probably see it in your life. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter one and uh, you can follow along uh, in your Bible as we read it. We're gonna read this whole chapter this morning or you can follow along, use the QR code there on your seat back to follow the message notes that are already available for you. And we're gonna, I wanna give you a little context for this, this letter, right? First John, it, there's some debate about who actually wrote it, but traditionally it, is, it was written by the apostle John, uh, John the evangelist, John the beloved of John's gospel. There's some disagreement with modern scholars because of the writing style of John's gospel and the first John. Some people think that it's John the elder uh, in second John and third John where he's named. Uh, but first John doesn't, it, 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 the writer doesn't name himself. So um, 
they're not absolutely sure, but regardless, the writer was with Jesus. The writer was a disciple of Jesus and walked with him and saw him and experienced relationship with him. And he was a firsthand eyewitness of the miracles and ministry of Jesus. And this letter was sent to Ephesus. That's a fun word to know and say, come on, Ephesus. Ephesus is in Western Turkey and it is a a place, that, now when he wrote that letter, he prob- they, it probably was a circular letter that went out to other cities in Asia or the Mediterranean, but it, Ephesus was a leading trade center in the Roman Empire, and it was also the center of worship of the goddess, the pagan goddess Diana. The city was beautiful, it was sophisticated, it was wealthy and pagan. It was a lot like Austin, Texas. And so, uh, so, so, Christianity in, during this letter was still in its young stages, but it was old enough to be uh, a ways from the apostles' uh, teaching and, and from Jesus himself. So there's a generation here after Jesus is gone, and it's, it's this next generation. And the letter is written in response to some false teachers. It actually was a church split, and some former church members left the church, and they started teaching a form of Gnosticism, which is a, generally speaking, kind of a all spiritual things are good and all physical things are evil. And so they couldn't reconcile Jesus being fleshly or physical with Jesus being good. So they, so they started to teach that Jesus probably didn't have uh, a real body when he was here and he just appeared like he did, so that means he didn't really die. And there was, there was just some heresies that started to take hold of the people in, in, in that time in Ephesus. And, um, and so he, he, they were teaching that Jesus wasn't even real. And, and, that, and by the way, this happens in our day. Like, like we, sometimes we follow Jesus in a way that we kind of think he's not real or we just, we just follow his teachings. We don't follow him. We don't engage with him. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a thing we're gonna read about here uh, that helps us with that. But this is a highly personal letter. It's almost like a poetic sermon. A poetic sermon with a deep concern of a father and his children in the faith. They were facing hostility, they're facing false teachings, there's division, there's all this fighting, and that sets up our first verse in chapter one. Let's begin, 1 John 1, 1. It says, that which was from the beginning. Oh, I love that. That which was from the beginning. That sounds familiar to John, the gospel, chapter one, when he said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. Also reminiscent of Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The, the writer here, John, is, is writing something that all Jewish people would have understood the, the subtext, and even the, the Gentiles or the others who, who believe, would, would have come to faith, they would have understood that he was referencing something that was, that was bigger and, and long-lasting. And so he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Capital W. Who is the word of life? It's Jesus. 
It's Jesus. He's saying we saw him. We saw the miracles. We saw the blind man suddenly get eyes open. We saw the man with the withered hand. He, Jesus said, reach, reach, reach it out in front of me. And it became whole and healed. They saw Jesus do these miracles and they heard his stories. And he said, this is the one we proclaim. He was a real person. He, we walked with him. We connected to him. We heard his voice. Verse two says, the, light of, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. I love this. How there's, he's, he's saying, we saw him. We saw him do miracles, and we saw him die. We saw the blood. We saw him being put in the grave. Now, interestingly enough, now you know from studying the resurrection stories, which we just were looking at these last several weeks, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, and then he started to appear to his disciples. And one day when the disciples were hiding in a room, worried that they were gonna get killed too, Jesus shows up right into the room. He came through the wall, hi. And he had a glorified body. So he did have a different body when he was resurrected, the scripture teaches that you and I will receive a body just like that. Now it's interesting because Jesus was there and he was like, they were all like, oh, 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 it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And he's like, do you have any food? <laughs> Jesus was eating food. He had a real body, even though it was a resurrected body. And so there's this, there's this touchable nature to Jesus that I want to encourage you to seek out. Because it's a little bit weird, like, right? Like Jesus, will, he doesn't walk the earth anymore, but he does appear to people. Yep. And there is, a, there, is a, there is a sense that, see, the, the, the thing that makes his sacrifice so powerful is he had, he had to take on the sins, the, the separation, the issue of the burden. He, there was only one person who could carry it. It had to be the son of the living God. And so he came in the flesh. He came to be like you and me. He came to speak to you and me about who God is in a way we could understand. Not a ghost, not some uh, 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 ethereal, kind of vague personality. No, he came and he was a baby and he grew up. And that is an important element of our faith because he came and took our flesh upon himself. He joined us in our suffering. He understands. And the reason he did that is so he could get close to you and me. And he wants you and me to get close to him. And that's what John is saying here. He says in verse three, we proclaim to you what we have seen and what we've heard so that you may also have fellowship. Everybody say fellowship have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. We write this because there's, he's saying there's something that, that happens in our lives when we have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. There's a joy that begins to 
materialize in our own hearts and our own souls. Verse five, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. So we have all this buildup. He's talking about the, in the beginning and the, the life and, the, and we saw him and we heard him and we touched him and, and this was part of the thing. And he's building up, building up, building up to this moment. Here's the message we have heard. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. You won't catch him playing murder in the dark. <laughs> he would be cheating anyway. Not purposely cheating, just able to cheat. See everything in the dark. These five verses give us a premise, and I wanna, I wanna give that premise to you. The premise is that light and life creates fellowship and joy. Light and life create fellowship and joy. Darkness and death create the opposite. Agony, struggle, fear. But something about light, something about life being revealed, something different happens and they had experienced this. The disciples had experienced this life with Jesus. And he said, we're proclaiming him the word of life. In fact, he goes further and he says, he says, when you have friends and then you put faith together, you end up with fellowship. Some people just try to have faith, but they don't have friends and they never experience the joy of belonging. Some people, they just tr try to have friends, but they never get the joy of faith and friendship coming together that produces this joy. They never, they never experience this kind of fellowship that John is talking about it here. And I wanna ask you a question today. Is it possible that we've let a little bit of the darkness into the church? Is it possible that we too end up enjoying dabbling in the dark? Now listen, he, what, what John is about to say is if we walk in the light, he's gonna, he's gonna say that. But he's, the idea is if. In other words, it's a choice. Now darkness can come upon you. Um, we can be overwhelmed by darkness. Uh, we can be confronted by darkness. But what John is about to talk about here in darkness is walking intentionally in darkness in a consistent way. One of the first things that God created in all of creation, if we look back at the beginning in Genesis, what did he create? He created light. And then the light began to feed the next parts of creation. Life could not exist without the light light and so it fed the plants and it fed the animals and it and it provided this light provided the opportunity it was necessary for life and that's true for you and it's true for me light allows you to see everything more accurately and life begins to take hold walking around in the dark actually causes woundedness hurt and death and so, this is what the Apostle John, in his uh, gospel letter, 
In John 3, he talked about this in verse 19. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. They're afraid for their deeds to be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen, seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Don't you think it's interesting how people think they can hide from God? Like even you and me. There have been times in my life when I was like, "Mm." it's our nature. It happened from the first story in the Bible. Adam and Eve, they hid from God. They didn't want to be discovered. But listen, there's a There's something about the good news. There's something about the life of God that comes into a person and changes that dynamic. There's something that that comes into you and that light and that life begin to form in you and shape a a conviction, a conviction that you are loved. A conviction that you are loved. And that's that's where John is leading us. He's leading us to this fellowship without light, without life, without friends and joy. We are isolated, lonely, arrogant, and dissatisfied, miserable. Is it any wonder we look around at culture and see it? The people are miserable in their polarized politics and fractured tribalism within our our country. No wonder people are fearful and depressed and full of anxiety and, and angry. Listen, all you gotta do is walk in the light. You don't have to walk in the darkness. And what John says is, if you read the next few verses, he gives us the solution. Here it is, verse six. Are you still with me? If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Well, thank you for that encouragement. That's nice. You're a bunch of liars. Don't don't claim to have fellowship with him and yet Walk in the darkness. Don't be intentional in that way. Don't lie. Because when you lie, you're not living out the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Did you know you can be self-deceived? You can be totally convinced that your way is the right way. Walking in the dark will do that to you. Because you're the only experience that you're going to be able to receive. If you walk in the dark, you don't receive the experience of God. If you walk in the dark, you don't receive the experience of others. You're just consumed with your experience. You can't see anybody else's. You can't experience anybody else's. It's a problem. But he says, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse eight, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we, I love this verse, one of the best verses in the Bible, you should underline it if you have your Bible. If your Bible's too good to underline in, get a new one. Enshrine yours in glass and get a new one. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. Everybody say faithful. And just, say it. He's faithful, he's just, and will forgive. 
He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we, verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. 1 John 1, 6 through 10, here's what he's trying to say. The premise is honesty. If you, if you end up walking in the darkness, here's the solution. Honesty and confession brings forgiveness and healing. In Jesus, honesty and confession brings forgiveness and healing. Now, there are five if statements. And I, just wanna, I just wanna hit each of them over the next couple minutes here. John gives five if statements. Here they are. Number one is in verse six. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. What this means is hypocrisy. You're projecting something publicly that's not true privately. And this is tricky, isn't it? Because you don't just want to tell everybody your sins. That would be dumb. But you do want to walk in the light and you do want to allow somebody to have access to those personal areas in your life. He said, don't lie and act like you have it all together. What other ways do we lie? Sometimes you lie when you walk into the church. and Somebody says, hey, how's it going? I'm fine. It's called church face. And I'm not, I'm not saying you have to break down in the lobby and tell somebody your, your big sob story, but that'd be better than just hiding. I mean, I mean, it's like, well, I guess you can't tell anybody. Well, telling somebody's better than telling nobody. There's something in our culture called image perception. Image perception. And you see it all over social media. It's, an, it's a management of our image and what's projected. And you see it in corporate settings. You see it in politics. You see it in church life sometimes. And I want to suggest to you that it is antithetical to honest, humble fellowship with others in Christ. Managing your perception all the time, it gets tiresome. It gets wearying gets overwhelming. Managing your perception, the perception that others have of you with your, with your, uh, with your social media, it's something that, that we have to undo somehow. And, and the fact that it's everywhere means it starts to get in us. And even, even, when, even those who you love Jesus and want to serve him and follow him, we end up hiding to a certain degree. Pastors sometimes are the worst at this. Everything's awesome. Everything's great. Don't miss it. I, I, I've been off social media for a while because I just couldn't handle it. My soul couldn't take it, so I, I haven't been on. But I've always wanted to be that pastor who, you know, did a little um, video, you know, that would say, hey, uh, today's service was awful. It was terrible. Um, don't, don't, don't go watch it later. It's not even worth it. It's bad. Go watch something else. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> I've never done it. But we all know that I've uh, had some stinkers. I heard some people say, amen. Here's another way to ask the question. 
How can we live out the truth? Here's how you can live out the truth, by belonging to a small group of people who know you. A small group of friends who share light and life together, who share confession and forgiveness and healing. This is the only answer. This is the only way you can do this in 21st century Austin, Texas. It's everything, everything else you're involved in has this image perception practice and you'll, you'll give into it unless you break its power by being part of a group of people that are honest with each other and confess their sins to each other. And sometimes you have to choose carefully about who that is. But verse, number two, number two if statement is verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. This is a beautiful verse. This is the, the pivot point in the whole first chapter. So let's break it down together, what it means, okay? Because it gives us direction for how to live. If you want to write this down, I'm going to give you three things. Here they are. What he's saying is you got to walk, when you walk in the light, it means no hypocrisy. It means no hypocrisy. It doesn't mean that you tell everybody everything that's going on, but what it means is somebody knows what's really going on with you. So you don't have to manage your image full time. You get to be honest. You get to relax. You get to be authentically you. Some of you haven't had that and you're kind of starving for it. And I understand it's a lot of work to do the other. Is there somewhere where you can be fully yourself and, and, and say, here's what I'm wrestling with, here's what I'm struggling with, here's what I want to do, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm, here's what I'm wrestling through, and, and have people pray for you, love you, challenge you, encourage you, ask you how you're doing. Expose every secret to the light and its dark power will be broken. You guys, that's how it works. Small group of friends walking together following Jesus. It's called disciple making. That's all it is. There doesn't have to be an expert. You're just all willing to be honest, to walk together, to look to the scriptures, to follow Jesus in his way. The second thing is fellowship is created when we share vulnerability. That sounds familiar. Man, you guys should come up. I'm only on the second if statement, but I'm gonna speed through the other three. But here's the thing. Fellowship is created when we share vulnerability. Healthy openness and honesty is actually incredibly bonding. Fellowship is a sense of connection where you feel safe, where you feel loved, and it's created by vulnerability. Here's the problem with vulnerability, right? What's the problem with vulnerability? You have to take a risk. What's the risk? What's the risk? What? They won't like you? Yeah, what else? You'll get hurt? You'll be embarrassed? You'll be ashamed? You'll, you'll either be judged by them or you'll be disgusted with them. <laughs> and the way they, there's, you'll be disappointed in them. There, there's all kinds of ways we can be hurt. Here's the problem, you can't have intimacy unless you're willing to have some vulnerability. And it takes time for that to grow, for sure. I'm not saying that you can have that instantaneously. Don't go to your small group this, well, actually, if you go to your small group this week and you just blurt out all your stuff, it'll be the best thing that ever happened to your group. But if you're going to the f 
first time group. If you've never been to a group before, don't do it on your first time. <laughs> Just saying. Take the leader aside and say, hey, can we talk for coffee? And then do it, for, do it with them. So, but my point is, everybody needs somebody to tell anything to. And they'll love them and pray for them and walk with them. That's what John's describing here. Third thing is the blood of Jesus is best applied in community. People don't think about this a lot, but here's what, here's what John is saying. He's saying that if you try to just apply the, let me, let me pause here. There is no sin, no failure, no past, no woundedness that can stand against the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is powerful enough for every sin, every failure, every foolish act and thought. The blood of Jesus is the most powerful thing you'll ever encounter to save you, to redeem you, to, to wash those sins away. So let's not, let's not get confused. The problem is not in the efficacy of the blood. The problem is how it's applied. And it's often applied in isolation. It's imply, imp applied to your life in darkness and secrecy. And it's, and, it, and it's hard to get it to take hold because you know you. And the last thing your voice inside your head is gonna tell you is, hey, you're loved. You're loved, you're embraced. God loves you, you know it up here. But somehow that voice inside your head, that thing that you can't seem to get rid of, it's, it's, it's gnawing at you and you can't seem to find your way on the other side. If you're a Christian and you've been walking with Jesus for a while, but you've been confronted with darkness, you've been overwhelmed by it from time to time, you know what I'm talking about. The image management, the process of getting to a place where you can tell somebody else what's really going on, it's a thing. But it's the way God's people are supposed to live. And when you apply it in community, what you have is another person who stands in the place of Jesus and says, no, I want you to know you're loved. Did you know, do you know what this is called? When we gather together as a church, you know what we're called? The body of, the body of Christ. You are Jesus to each other. You're his body. You're the flesh and blood. That's how it works. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You can encourage and forgive and heal. You can, you can lift someone up. You can do that for each other. You can do that for people who don't even know that it's even possible because you're, you're the body of Christ. And what Jesus has done, he's included you, but we can't walk alone we can't live isolated. We can't be afraid to confess and to be relieved of the burden. The third if is, John says, if we claim, verse eight, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We've already talked about that. Sometimes we downgrade sin and we, make, we call it, oh, I'm, I'm just making some mistakes. Oh, I'm just, uh, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. I'm only human. And we downgrade the poison of sin. Oh, I don't need to confess that. No, it's not true. Sin will destroy you. I, my favorite phrase is, sin makes you stupid. People who, people who keep treading in the darkness, people who keep running in the dark bathroom hit their head on the door jam. No offense. If statement number four, if we confess our sins, 
he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Oh, I love this verse. You guys, this is it. This is the gospel. If we confess our sins. You know that word confess means, it actually means to say the same. To say the same thing God says. I confess I'm the sinner. I confess you know more than me. I confess I'm the one who needs the help. That's what it is. That's all it is. But here's the problem. We have often read that verse. You probably learned it in Sunday school. And, and you pray, you pray, you've prayed it to God a lot. But the context of this entire letter is what? The context is all about lying to each other. The context is all about walking in the dark and telling others you're walking in the light. The context is not just God. Yes, confess your sins to God. Yes, do it. Make do that. That's so honest. It's so vulnerable. But we gotta, we gotta, we gotta. You gotta, you gotta confess to other people if you really want to break the cycle of habitual sin. There's no way around that. And that's what John's saying here. Uh, is that number four? Yes. And then number five. Look, I did it. It's because you're the second service. I didn't get there in the first service. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. John just gives one more for good measure. Boom. Don't act like you haven't sinned. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about, John's saying. We can become self-deceived, but we make God out to be a liar. Here's why, here's why. So important, John 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another. Can you, can you put that up there, uh, Alejandro? If we can, sorry. Uh, the earnest prayer of a righteous prayer. No, back up, Fifth, 15, 15, 15. There we go. Confess your sins to each other. And what? Pray for each other so that you may be what? This is how the gospel this is how the blood is applied. This is how the gospel begins to grow in us. And so I want you just to come to a moment of worship here. And I want the prayer team to come up. Everybody on the prayer team, just come up. And we're gonna come to a moment of worship. Why don't you stand together with me? And we're gonna worship for a few minutes here. And here's what I really want for you. What I want for you is freedom. What I want for you is to if you need to, to unburden yourself, to come forward. And if you've been walking in the dark or maybe darkness has been confronting you or something has been happening and you're just like, oh. If you have the thought in this room, I don't wanna go up and pray with anybody because I don't wanna tell anybody what's been happening. Then you need to come and pray. Because it is the secret, it is the power. Don't sit there and not engage. Well, God will forgive me. Yes, you're right. But you'll be missing some of the power of how the blood is applied. Okay? And so let's just open our hands toward heaven and we'll just give up our own way. Lord, we give up our own way. We give up doing things as we think they should be done. We give up our hiding. We give up our, our willingness to walk in the dark, even if momentarily. We ask you to help us. Give us courage. Give us the grace we need to walk in the light. 
to yield everything to you, to give it to you, and to let you forgive us.